Welcome back to the meeting after the meeting, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. Eric V. And Ali B. And today we are joined by our very lovely, boisterous, amazing guest from California, Jen. How are you doing today? I'm good. I feel like I need to say Jen P. <laughs> Jen P. There you go. That's perfect. All the and the, the first and what, last initial. We're going to do uh, a quick lightning round of questions. When were you first introduced to recovery? Um, when I was probably early 20s. And how long have you been clean? Nine years. Perfect. All right. Well, with all that out of the way, I believe Jen will clue us in to the uh, topic we will be covering tonight and then take it away. So, pitter-patter, let's get at her, Jen. That's it, right? That was it? That was my whole... That was it? Now it's up to me? Yep. Oh, my God. Help yeah. Me. Yep. Yeah. We're, I, 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 want David, I want David to get rid of that whole part because, like, you know... Pitter-patter? Yeah. Well, I hate I that. like the pitter-patter. No, I hate it. I love the pitter-patter. I hate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, right. I support pitter-patter. <laughs> Go ahead, I support Jen. whatever... App. I support whatever Alex supports. It's all about yes. girls' power. Yes. yes. Unity. <laughs> yes. Usually I'm outnumbered. This is amazing. Oh. I know. I hear, I hear ya. <laughs> so, okay. So I think today um, what's really coming up for me, <laughs> um, I think it's really important that um, we talk about trauma, unresolved trauma, childhood trauma, Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that just the addiction experience itself is traumatic. Um, Oh yeah. And I think it is in a lot of traditional program, a lot of traditional recovery programs and groups, it's considered like an outside issue, which I think I've spoken Mm -hmm. on this every time I've talked to you, how much I despise that term. Yep. Um, I believe everything is the issue, are the mm-hmm. issues, and what we need to be healing and talking about and encouraging people to heal from. Um, so for me, I mean, I've shared my story on here before, but obviously I come from a long line of childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And my drug use was just a manifestation of trauma. My drug use was just a way to cope with trauma, with childhood sexual abuse and, you know, cult survivor and, you know, dysfunctional family, abusive family. I forgot the cult survivor. Yeah. I forgot that. How could you? (laughs) Sorry. That's like my, that's like my, you know, everybody loves that story. That's the, that's pretty gnarly, right? Well, for, our, for, for Allie B, give her, give her the Allie quick B. synopsis. So yeah, Allie, I'm intrigued. Yeah, uh, please. Allie B, yes, I am a cult survivor. So I grew up, I, I was born in California, but when I was two and a half, my parents joined a religious cult. And they, we moved, all, everybody moved all the way to Mobile, Alabama. And we lived there in the same area. We ate at the same place. We All the kids went to the same school. We were... Um, segregated and separated from our outside family, outside friends, anyone outside this. And I'm going to put quotations in the air church. It wasn't a church, but that's what they called themselves. Uh Mm -hmm. And so as the years went on, um, the abuse started getting more severe, financial abuse, physical abuse, um, 
spiritual abuse, um, you know, all kinds of mental abuse, and then obviously sexual abuse. So when I was about five, this elder called me into his office, and I came from a very broken family. They knew everything about our families. In fact, they had file file cabinets in one of the elders' offices that had each family, a file for each family, and very personal information about everyone. Like, even mm. even information about the husband and wife's sex lives. Mm. Yeah. So, he knew, he knew exactly what kind of family I, came, I come from. My mom was, you know, my mom has a lot of mental health problems and suicide attempts and all this stuff. They saw that as demon possession, not as a medical issue. Wow. Anyways, so... And my dad was very low on the totem pole in that hierarchy. So, anyways, he called me in, and he sat me on his lap. And, you know, I was starving for attention, starving for love from my home. I had, I had none of that. And he started playing with my hair and coloring with me in coloring books and singing me songs and telling me that, you know, I was one of God's chosen ones. And we were taught he was much closer to God than any of us ever would be. And so I really enjoyed this time with him. You know, it gave, it gave me so much that I was lacking. But then over the time, you know, it started off very slow and, and very nice. But over time, you know, it turned into something so frightening and so confusing that I would disassociate from my body and just drift off and leave myself to him to do whatever he wanted. And then I would pull my little dress down and walk out. And I never said a word. In fact, I never told anyone until I was 26. Yeah. But, um, you know, he, he sexually molested me until we, my dad finally, a man started coming around secretly offering to rescue families from this situation. It was growing very, very bad. Um, and so my dad, I think that gave my dad kind of the clue, like, hello, maybe this situation is bad. <laughs> maybe this isn't right. <laughs> Um, and so, we, I mean, we were there, and then we just moved. I didn't, we didn't say goodbye to anybody. It just always, it seemed so weird to me. I was almost 10. Anyways, but I, I remember, you know, and it was, by the way, disbanded as a documented cult. So it was not a church or a weird church or just a fundamentalist church. It was a documented cult. And so um, I thought if I, when I left, that... It was over. You know, I'm leaving it behind, and I can move on. I mean, I'm, I'm 10. <laughs> you know, what the fuck do I know about life? Mm-hmm. I, everything I knew about life was painful, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Love mm-hmm. meant pain. God meant pain. Church meant pain. You know, my mom meant pain. Everything meant pain. And when we moved here, which is where I, in the same town I live in now, so I've lived here since I was 10, um, trauma, 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 trauma. I had no idea it was trauma. I just thought there was a lot of things really wrong with me and that I was really dirty and damaged and broken. And I, um, just kept more and more secrets and just held it all inside. And the shame just consumed me till I could, bar- I could barely breathe and nightmares and PTSD. PTSD and um, hypervigilance, you know, jumpy, super jumpy. Um, I started, you know, eating disorders. This is all manifestations of trauma. 
It's uh-huh. all a way to get some control, to have some control over your body when you have no, I mean, your body in any sense, in any type of the trauma, complex trauma, unresolved trauma, you have no control over your body. It just reacts. Um, I was mm-hmm. disassociating when I, just at random times. Just all of a sudden, a time would have gone, gone by and I don't even know what happened. Everything was to protect myself. You know, it's drugs and alcohol saved my life. I've said that before, and I will always say that. I became suicidal. I thought if I just, I just thought I wasn't meant to live on this earth. I just thought there was something so wrong with me, and that my mom didn't love me. She always wanted to kill herself and told me it was my fault. So clearly, I believed her. Of course, I'm a child. Um. You know, I was such a dirty girl, my hands are in quotation marks, um, with what had happened to me in that, in that organization um, with that elder. I never saw myself as a victim. In fact, I had taken ownership of that. Like, it, I was a participant until I was in my 30s. Uh. Silence and secret turn in, you know, though, the thing is that, None of that shit was ever my secrets. Those were always, always their secrets. But when you don't speak on something, it manifests and twists and turns until you think it's your secret. And now somehow you've taken ownership over something that was never yours to carry. Never your burden, ever once. And all that silence, you know, all those secrets, all those times I never told anybody, all those times I never fought him off, all those times I never even said anything, you know, um, grew into my own shame. And so, you know, all that trauma just, it, you know, I, I became suicidal. I'm not, I don't think I became suicidal because I have any type of clinical depression. It was absolutely trauma-induced. Um, and so I found alcohol in the nick of time. And that's a weird thing to say, I guess. But, I mean, it was, I was very close to uh-huh. att- attempting to do what I had seen my mom try to do tons of times. Tons of times. You know, here I had the formula. I, I, I kind of had it down. You know, I've been trying to save my mom from doing this, so I kind of knew, you know. I think about my son, you know, who's seven, and if he were to... I mean, I don't think he'd even at this point have a clue at what, the way he lives, not that other seven-year-olds don't, but just the way his home life would have really even a clue how to go about that at this point, really. But by seven, man, I had it down. You know, I've been trying to save my mom and intervene on her just ugh, over and over again. Anyway, so I found alcohol in the nick of time. Uh, And, you know, alcohol and drugs, like I said, did save me. It just, it quieted that beast of shame. It, it was a coping skill for trauma. And the link and the road between trauma and addiction is like this two-way road that constantly leads back into itself. So you have trauma, you have trauma, and then... I mean, it is, like, ridiculous how many people have trauma that fall into addictions, right? Or problematic mm-hmm. or problematic drug use, whatever you, know, oh, yeah. you want to call it. 
And then while you're in an addiction, you are then put yourself at more risk to get re-traumatized because of the dangerous situations you're in, the criminal activity, um, rape, um, being robbed, just even the effects that being a slave to a substance, just that alone causes trauma. Mm-hmm. The opposite of trauma is choice. So anything that happens to you happens around you um, where you are not in control, where it was not your choice. And I personally believe whether or not the first time I used or drank was my choice. After that, it was not. So all these behaviors I did in those addictions, all the times I would be throwing up, walking on the street, trying to get to my to connect because I was out of heroin. All those, everything, all the people I hung around, you know, mm-hmm. these were not good people. These were not, I shouldn't say good people. These were unsafe people. Mm-hmm. You know, I was raped, of course. I mean, all these things happened. So then I was re-traumatized. So now I have trauma from my childhood. Now I have current trauma. And then it goes even further to say that it is a medical, you know, mental fact, whatever, psychological fact that people who use substances to the point of problematic use, they are less resilient to withstand new trauma. Mm -hmm. So it's like this, this loop that just, it's like, you're traumatized, you start using, you get re-traumatized, you cannot even handle stubbing your toe at this point, and then you need more drugs. And so yeah. it's, like you, it's like this loop that never ends. And so you pull, mm-hmm. the dr- you pull the drugs and alcohol out of the situation, okay? So you go to treatment, or you go to your 12 steps, or you go to celebrate recovery, you go to church, you go online, whatever it is, and you pull the drugs and alcohol out of that equation. That equation still looks really fucked up. Oh, yeah. There is not a lot of true healing that's going to happen by just pulling out the drugs so, or mm-hmm. alcohol. So when I got sober, I assumed that drugs and alcohol were my problem because here I was in prison and out of jail homeless, my teeth were coming out, falling out of my face, I had, you know, track marks and abscesses and all these negative, you know, things, outside and inside, but all these negative things that revolved around my drug use because that was the most easy, quick, you know, tangible thing that I could grab, that a court could grab, that a counselor could grab was the drugs and alcohol. So you pull that out. So I thought, okay, I'll be sick. This is what's causing me all these problems. And God loved the 12 steps. God loved recovery, but they are not trauma-informed, and they are not designed. They were not created to address trauma. (laughs) And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's not what they're there for. They're there to address drug use, drug behaviors, wreckage, you know, making amends, giving back. These are all wonderful, wonderful things. However, 
when you have trauma, and everyone has trauma, everyone has different levels of trauma, but when you're in the addiction sphere, the amount of trauma is ginormous. <laughs> Even if you came from a wonderful childhood, the things you went through during your time of drug use, or even if during your time of drug use, you got to live in your parents' house, they were your drug dealers, everything was pretty cushy, whatever. Just the event and the fact that you are not in the control anymore of your body and that you had to have something to feel even well is the lack of choice, therefore, creates trauma. So in recovery, we have enormous amounts of trauma just swimming around. And in traditional recovery groups, these things, I mean, this is not a trauma-informed circle. It's not supposed to be. It's okay. It's not saying anything bad about it. But when we make that kind of stuff an outside issue, when we make it kind of taboo to talk about sexual abuse because you're in an AA meeting, when we make it kind of like hush-hush, just talk to your sponsor, who is not trauma-informed, who is not a psychiatrist, who is not a therapist, by the way, they shouldn't have to be. That's not what they're there for. But they are none of those things. Talk to your sponsor about the fact that you were raped. Well, your sponsor is only going to be able to go so far, or your mentor, or whatever it's called, or your pastor, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when we make all these things so hush-hush and so taboo and so an quote-unquote outside issue, what, and we say it works if you work it. So if you're not feeling better by now, you're not working it hard enough. There's certain things, certain things, certain language that are used that are very harmful. And I became suicidal about two, again, and trust me, I do not have clinical depression. This is all about trauma. About two years in recovery, because all I did was focus on what I was told. I did what I was told. Yes, things got better on the outside. I was no longer at risk to go to prison. I was no longer, you know, on the streets looking for drugs. These are wonderful Wonderful. Getting sober was like the key to being able to face all the things I needed to face. Uh But the pain from all this untouched, just torture trauma that I had never thought was any part of anything consumed me. And I thought, if this is recovery, I'd rather fucking die. Mm. If this is what it feels like, if I have to be disassociating and still tortured by nightmares and still feeling dirty and disgusting and unworthy and useless and I'm working it, I'm working it, work it because, you know, I'm working it. They're telling me I'm not working it right. I'm not working it hard enough. I'm not being as honest, open, you know, I am, I really was, but it was not designed to help all of me. I needed extra help. So this is not an unusual story, by the way. This is so no. this is so fucking common that it, it is heartbreaking to me because there's no such thing as as good as it gets in recovery. Mm-hmm. And so if you are working your traditional program and you are still in pain, please, 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 please 
be an advocate for yourself and step outside of that box and heal your life. You do not have to leave your program. You do not have to leave your favorite NA home group or your church. You can add in. Bring it all in. (laughs) Bring in a therapist. Bring in EMDR. Uh Bring in yoga. Bring in hypnotherapy. Bring whatever the fuck it is in because you are worthy and and you are capable of actually way more than just not drinking and using and just saying, making amends for your wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. There's just so much more to recovery in life, personally, Absolutely. that's my opinion. Um, so I, I decided that I was going to give myself one more shot. I just thought, before I give up, I'm just going to try. And I, I remember the day. I remember I got Google. Thank God for Google. <laughs> I got fucking on, right. Fucking Google, man. I got on Google and I Googled. I can I think I Googled childhood sexual abuse or sex abuse, something. And I fucking fell apart on the floor. It was the first time I had acknowledged, even a little bit, that I was abused and not that I was dirty and wrong and disgusting and going to molest my own children and, you know, going to become a pedophile myself. You know, it was the first time I acknowledged it. And what I found was that I was not alone. Mm-hmm. And that is probably the biggest power of all recovery programs is to have people that you, that you to know that you are not alone. That's like the, to me, that's the most powerful part of everything. And I know everyone says meetings without step work. You know, I'm, I, you know me, I'm not a big, I don't go any direction on any program at all. But I really feel that the community and, and just that is so powerful to hear me too. And me too does not have to just be about sexual assault. Me too can be about uh-huh. anything. And I realized that I'm not alone. And I felt so alone my entire life. Uh. And getting sober saved my life. Trauma work saved my recovery. Once I began advocating for myself, standing up for myself, saying what I'm doing is great, but it's not enough. And it's not because I'm not doing it right or working it hard enough. It's because I need more and I deserve more. And I'm going to try for more before I fucking kill myself. My entire world just opened up wide. So now, today, sitting here in 2020 shitstorm, like my mission is, right? My mission is to, whenever I can, whenever I'm given the opportunity, is to speak about the fact that trauma work is severely lacking in recover in addiction recovery, mm-hmm. um, and that we need to talk about it and we need to bring it out. And if people don't know, if we if nobody talks about it, nobody knows about it. I say this about everything. If no one fucking talks about it, then no one's going to know about it. And if no one knows about it, people are going to continue to suffer from it. And the whole yeah. reason that I'm here today in this world, the whole reason I'm alive, I believe that I managed to escape death so many times 
is to help people not suffer the way I did for as long as I did and the extremities I did. You know, that's my mission. Mm-hmm. It's not to say I'm the winner, winner, chicken dinner. Um, this is my recovery program, and since it worked for me, it's going to work for you. Let's all, yeah. you know, we all, we all want to be the fucking winner here. It's not yeah. about, if it's about you being the winner, then you're in, the, in it for the wrong reason. Yep. You know, there's this thing that doctors do called crowdsourcing. I watched this documentary called, I think it was called crowdsourcing, to be honest. Um, but it was about rare patients with these rare, uh, random rare medical issues, um, syndromes, diseases, unexplainable, or, you know, no one's been able to help them thus far. Mm-hmm. And what, these, what this doctor does is she takes these cases and she crowdsources amongst all the specialists that she knows across the world and sends these case, you know, sends the case to specialists in Africa, specialists mm-hmm. in, in, you know, England, whatever, specialists in wherever. And they all come together and work together to treat this patient. Mm-hmm. Why in the hell, please someone tell me, why in the hell are we not doing this in recovery? Why are we not crowdsourcing? If someone does not feel comfortable in church at Celebrate Recovery, why are we not, the, those of us in Celebrate Recovery, let's say, why are we not saying, listen, honey, you could try this, 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 this. The goal is to help people not to be the winner. Mm-hmm. My... God, <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, okay. I think there needs to be way more uh, uh, cohesiveness and just willingness to work together between all fellowships. Okay. Like we, we shouldn't. We, we need. We need to stop trying to mold people uh, to like a specific standard of whatever fellowship it is, and really listen to them. And be like, hey, this might not be the place for you. These are other options. Check them out, too. Whichever one fits and is great for you, please use that. I'm telling you. So, and let's, and and the thing is, like, I want, you know, let's be supportive. Like, you know, it's unfortunate, I believe. And I think that this is something that many of us um, actually play a part in why this is not being fixed. But the 12 steps fellowship is everywhere it's everywhere Mm -hmm. it's free so it is very commonly um you know it's everywhere i I love that because a lot of these other programs cost money and i don't know about you guys but when i got in recovery i couldn't even afford a fucking jelly bean okay you know like i couldn't even we were just talking about jelly beans really yes (laughs) right before you got on we were talking about our favorite jelly belly well, I couldn't even afford a jelly belly. I couldn't afford, you know, nothing. So thank Oh, those are gourmet cool jelly beans. Yeah. <laughs> thank God I had the free, you know, that that was accessible, you know. And I think yeah. that we need to make these other avenues way more accessible so that it is available to everybody because obviously this is a very, you know, everyone says this, but nobody's cookie cutter. Everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Um and if the 12th, you know, it's so complicated because I, you know, I, 
obviously my foundation is in the 12 steps, so I know their slogans way more, but, you know, um, sometimes it doesn't work even if you work it. <laughs> and it's not because the, the, the program doesn't work. It's because it does not fit the person. Mm-hmm. That's all. No egos yeah. need to be hurt. Nobody lost. Nobody's winning. The only person that's losing is the person suffering. Yes. 100%. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, the trauma thing needs to be talked about. I feel like we need to be bringing in way more, I don't know, conversations about this, you know. Um, yeah. And I, and I, you know, for me... Like I said, like, you know, trauma work saved my recovery. Like, I, I, I couldn't go on like that much longer. And I think yeah. that relapse, relapse rates happen so often. And there's all kinds of factors into that. But I think a lot of times, more times than not, it's because of unresolved trauma. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of things. It's a lot of things, right? And, and, and sometimes it's just because I, someone's not ready. You know, I get all that, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. But, but if you just remove the drugs and alcohol from that big loop, I mean, there's it's still the first a, step. There's, it's the first step, but there's exactly. still such a there's still such a mess there that mm-hmm. that that is actually fixable. <laughs> it is yeah. actually there. You can heal from that. So that's my jam. That's my get down. You know, right. and um, you know, I've heard a lot of you know it's just. This whole year has been a fucking nightmare, and I hear a lot like, oh, well, if you've been to prison or if you've been institutionalized, then this is no big deal. Well, let me clarify. A lot different. A lot different. That not, it's a lot different, and it can also bring up trauma from being institutionalized and and Mm. imprisoned. So let's not throw out this, I hate junk statements. I just hate I, and I used to do it myself. I used to do tons of them myself. Junk statements, blank statements that just wound people unintentionally, you know, you, you know, but make people think there's something wrong with them if they are actually feeling really triggered. I've been to prison, okay? I've been to jail. I've been to institutions. I've done it all. This virus being locked down has brought up a lot of stuff for me from past traumas. So do not tell me that I should be able to muscle through this since I can sit on my couch versus being in my cell. Don't tell mm-hmm. anybody that because what actually can happen is this can actually bring upon, bring upon a trigger, re- I mean, a, yeah, a trigger response, a trauma response. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh. Interesting. All right. Well, we got, <laughs> we got, I definitely have a question. And this is going to be for both you and Allie, uh, because mm-hmm. Eric and I have penises, and it doesn't relate to us. Really? <laughs> I mean, okay, Eric does, and I'm like 50-50 on mine, but... <laughs> um, if you get married, you lose your penis. That's what I heard. Oh, yeah. My, yeah, my wife has that. Okay. Um, so, um, both of you, obviously, as women, um, how do you guys... How do you ladies begin to um, build up a level of self-esteem and strength and ultimately a level of security in your mind? Because, like, 
who it like it sucks and this is a shitty statement but like it's a it's a fucking man's world like the drug world is a man's world and even like demographically recovery is predominantly ruled by men so when you guys have so many negative interactions with men and traumatic experiences psychologically emotionally sexually how do you come into recovery and really feel safe and build yourself up in a healthy way to really have a true sense of self and in recovery whichever one of you wants to go first I'll let Allie go since I just talked my ass off forever. Unless you want me to go, Allie. No, I can. I can go. Um, so I might have not. I might not have your like traditional like feminist answer for this, but um, you know, it's just my shit and how I perceive stuff. So um, I did have some traumatic, um, you know, sexual instances happen pre-using, during using, even post-using, you know, in early recovery. Um, mm-hmm. Well, like, one of the things that, like, I did for ways and means to get more was, like, I was a stripper, and, like, in some way, shape, or form, I got to own my sexuality. It taught me how to, like, own it, right? Like, it's mine. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck you, right? Like, fuck what you want to do with it. Like, I'm going to control this, and I'm going to make you give me what you want kind of thing, or what I want. Mm. And, like, I'm going to give you the illusion that you're getting what you want. Um, so, kind of, like, I don't know, I, I kind of had this, like, standoffish relationship with men, just always looking, thinking that, like, oh, they just always want something. You know, but, mm-hmm. um, like, when I came into the room end, um, it's something that I don't normally talk about in, like, early recovery, um, or, like, actually, something that I don't talk about enough, you know, throughout my recovery. Um, the guy that I was living with, so, like, me being, like, I, I manipulated people. That was, like, my game. That was my hustle. And mm-hmm. I knew I could manipulate men, right, because I learned how to do that at a very young age, manipulating my dad, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, basically, yeah. I know how to pull up people's heartstrings, you know, like, the whole nine yards. Like, I manipulated my whole life and um I like I saw like I was like oh man's weakness I can capitalize off of this anyway so like when I came into the room like it was um really a weird time for me because the guy who was my biggest enabler um who like honestly looking back at through some step work like thank god for this man um he was clean <laughs> he was had substantial double digits 20 plus years clean time but he was, like, buying me drugs and allowing me to live in his house without contributing to anything, um, you know, and I just enabled the shit out of me. So, like, I kind of had this, like, I don't know, like, standoffish vibe already, especially with, like, older men in recovery. I was, like, fuck you, you're a slime ball. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, I feel really blessed because... Like, I, where we live, dude, there's a ton of women who have some hardcore recovery and, like, who have, like, recovered from some traumatic shit, some ugly shit, some serious stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, I just kind of, like, you know, stuck with them. And um, I, like, kept guys at bay. And, like, of course, you know, me being new, like, I found the sickest dude that I could who was, like, nothing but a mirror um, for, like, every single relationship that I'd ever been in. And, um, you know, yeah, like, I participated willingly, um, clean, well, somewhat clean, I was on methadone, 
Um, so in my defense, I wasn't in my right mind. It was a methadone relationship, but fine. Yeah, I was still using it. Technically, I was not clean. Um, but, like, I was making strides, right, to a new way of life. And, uh, dude, it just, like, totally mirrored every single relationship that I'd ever been in and, like, all of the parts that, like, they played versus I played. And it really gave me a chance to, like, assess, like, honestly assess, like, my part in the situation and their part in the situation. And, like, I noticed, like, I'm a pretty observant person, so, like, there are certain groups in my area that are, like, heavily home group members with, like, middle-aged men, like, you know, kind of, like, yeah. I don't want to say triggers for me, but, like, you know, uh, just whatever, like, not my cup of tea. So I would, like, stay yeah. away from them. I would, like, not drink with them. And I certainly didn't join those home groups because, like, what am I going to bring to the table? Like, I, you know, I had to find some place that I felt comfortable. And what's crazy is that the home group that I joined, it was probably one of the out, most outspoken men I have ever met my entire life. So would probably kill someone in the heat of the moment if, you know, whatever. This is, I love this man to death. Like, I love him to death, but he is a very hardcore individual. And, um... Man, like, him and I had, like, this intense debate, and we disagreed about something, and, like, he taught me that, like, it's okay to disagree, and that, like, he, like, kind of, like, he told me, like, he loved me, and I knew it wasn't just, like, creepy, like, hey, I kind of want to fuck you, so I'm going to say I love you. It was, like, a wholehearted, genuine, um, like, I fucking love you, you know, and um, he convinced me that, like, I needed to, you know, get a home group, and I joined that home group, and uh, he, like, taught me that, like, my voice was worth it you know um I was valuable my opinion my experience um and my whatever like willingness to help was important and um yeah I just I don't know like I think that we as addicts like especially women like we've had to learn of like really bizarre traits to just be able to survive in active addiction yeah. so like we can like read a room really quickly like you know I mm -hmm. I, I mean I've I I could um, that was basically my job for like eight years. It was like, okay, you're a waste of time. You're a creep. You, you know, like so. I just brought those. I just brought those kind of same, like same, same kind of, of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. Yes, yeah. So, but anyway, so like, I kind of learned how to like fuck that guy. <laughs> I would have been like, yeah, just give him a drink on me, whatever. Anyway, so um, like. Uh, you would have been a good someone to have a good conversation with. Um, yeah, <laughs> like I love conversating yeah. with trip with strippers. I love like <laughs> this. This one had like dude, she had like a tattoo of of a uh, a chemical like compound on her body. I was like, I know what that is, and she was like, Oh my god, I'm in that, I'm in like a uh, fucking biochemistry class, and I was like, Oh my god. So we sat there and had a conversation for like forty five minutes, and she was like, Do you want a lap dance? I was like, No. She was like, Okay, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, okay, no, cool, nice conversation, moving on with my night, um, yeah, yeah so, like, I just kind of took this, <laughs> exactly, I just kind whatever, conver good conversation is never a waste of time, okay, it is a vital part of everyday life, never a waste of time, um, so, like, I just kind of took this kind of skills and, like, I don't know, like, I, like, honed into it, so, like, I kind of, one, I, like, no man could objectify me because I had already objectified myself, um, and I was not going to use that shit as like a, uh, a way for you to manipulate me. Like when I came to the ring, I put it all out on the table. 
because I didn't want some fucking creepy ass dude, you know, a year of me getting clean and being like, oh, I heard you like used to do this. It was like, fuck you. I'm going to own it. I'm going to own my shit. You can't hold it over, you know, make me try to feel shame or guilt or whatever about it. I'm just going to tell you about it now. And um, I'm going to stay away from the ones that like are giving me the weird vibes and make comments about like underhanded comments. Like I'm going to stick with like the women, right? And like, you know, stick with people who I know truly, genuinely just want to help me. Um, Mm. And it it did. Like it honestly, like I feel like listening to you, Sarah, I was like, God, I feel so fucking lucky. I feel so blessed because I just came in and I like met this amazing group of people and like they taught me like how to have a voice, how to like, you know, get outside help for trauma and that it's not an outside issue, that it is directly related. And um it was like all this like good shit, man. And um I don't know, like it just I, I could see like somebody not having that experience struggling. Um, because it yeah. is it, it it is hard. Like if you don't know a creep from, you know, a regular dude, it would be very hard to navigate sometimes. But um I mean you're oh. gut. If you if you if you have a intuition of any type, you know, you're gut. And hopefully there's like a strong ass, badass recovering chick in the meeting that can like, dude, I have like gone up to plenty of intervened on plenty of people in my day of seeing like some weird shit. Like, hey, why don't you come over here and hang out with us? Like, hey, why don't you you know, whatever, sit with us. Um so, yeah. I hope I answered your question. I don't really like yeah. if they did, but okay. yeah. yeah, that was good. My turn? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, let's see. So, I think very commonly for women, we uh, this is, seems to be common, is that women don't trust other women, especially when we're first coming into recovery. And my opinion on that and my and my own experience is that I, I didn't trust anyone until I became trustworthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until I myself became trustworthy. It's like we project. I projected myself mm. onto everybody. So I, I was not trustworthy, so I obviously saw everybody else as not trustworthy, women or men. Now, coming from, you know sexual assault and stuff like that. Like my time in my addiction, I pretty much existed. Like I was a guy. I would, I mean, I have been beaten up by so many guys. I don't even know. I can't even count because I would be so aggressive and, and be so um, confrontational because I, I want, I didn't want anyone to hurt me. The thing is I was always hurting so much inside and so terrified inside, but I wanted to portray that I was super tough, untouchable, unfazable. And I would get myself into these just incredibly dangerous situations. I mean, so dangerous where I'm the only girl amongst, a bunch of guys that don't even speak English and I'm pretending I can speak Spanish and understand it, but I can't, I only know a little bit words pitter patter here, pitter patter here and there. Um, and I would be, I mean, in all my way across the Tijuana border to drive machine guns because I'm the, I thought because that, yes, because I thought I was respected. But what really was happening is that I was the only idiot white person that is going to risk 
like their freedom and drive across the border and I might pass because I'm a white girl. I might get by through. You were gun running to Mexico? Yes, I was. That's yeah. yeah, hard. That's some bad ass shit. Yeah. It's so beyond stupid because I thought I was, oh, yeah. you know, I, I, stupid. Yeah. I mean, beyond. <laughs> and by the grace of God, I did not get caught. I mean, I always say yeah. I'm so grateful for what I went to prison for versus what I should have gone to prison for. I would still, oh, probably, yeah. I would still probably be there. But okay. I, you know, I was always trying to prove myself. And so when I got into recovery, that behavior continued. It's like mm. I was still hardcore. I would throw all my shit out on the table, not because I, I, I didn't want them to weaponize it against me, because I was trying to push people away. I wanted, always wanted to hurt you before you hurt me. Mm-hmm. I want to oh. absolutely disgust you before you find out how disgusting I am. Yeah. You know, and so that, I was very hard and very, I didn't cry. You know, I didn't shed emotion. I thought emotion was, was for manipulation. I thought women cried as a form of manipulation. What um, do you mean? I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I, Unless you're David. I had a really, yeah. t- a really tough show. And I actually, when I got into recovery, I stuck with the guys. Because I did not trust women. I did not want to. The truth is, I was ashamed to be a woman. Oh. That, that's really what it came down to. I was ashamed of what my womanhood represented to me. My womanhood represented being a abused, raped, used, beat up, um, having to prove I wasn't a bag whore, having to prove that I could sell drugs just like the guys, having to prove I could be tough, having to prove that I was worthy even though my mom didn't love me, having to prove that, that you know, um, I was valuable, you know, it, no matter what the, the situation was. So, you know, I, mm. I, I wanted to be a guy. I, I never questioned my sexual identity, but I, I just really hated the fact that I was a woman. I really did. And so I stuck with the guys now. Like Allie was saying, I'm very good at reading the room. I think that's part of my addiction experience, and I think that's also a part of my trauma. I'm very mm-hmm. good at sensing when shit's going to go down and when to hide as a kid. Yeah, it's like yeah. A, a way of defense. Like, you have to prepare yourself. You exactly. have to know. Yeah. So I, I would hang around the worst. I mean, I hate to say the worst, but the most non- spiritual of the crew, you know what I mean? The ones who talk about women, the ones who are just talk about sluts and all this degrading shit. And I would join in. But you know, the truth is that it hurt me every time I heard it. I didn't know it hurt me, but it did hurt me. I didn't know that being around the same kind of individuals that I had always been around, just because people are in recovery doesn't mean that they have decided to change their entire view on life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not everybody does, and that's a fine. Um, but I, I, like, really subconsciously or consciously, I'm not sure, like, sought out the ones who were especially not trying to, like, awaken to the real world. <laughs> they were just clean and sober or whatever. Um, yeah, they were 
Dry but, drunks, whatever, yeah. But living in the same, you know, fucking the newcomers, then calling them sluts and slut-shaming people and, you know, um, behaving like the same way you did on the streets, but you're not using, basically. And so it really, I think, um, over time, as I slowly became a little trustworthy myself, like I was no longer stealing from people, you could take me in a store and I'd actually pay for it. You know, little things, little things really add up. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to see the women um, in a different light. Mm-hmm. And I really feel um, that as, as I started to see myself a little bit better, I started to see, I had a better view of women as gen- in general slowly happen. And so... Um, mm-hmm. I, I personally believe that true healing only happens in the community of safe people. Yeah. So that, that doesn't mean that you don't get benefit from being around everybody where there's a mixed, a mixed bag of whoever. However, my true healing, my true recovery, my true like growth happened in a community of safe people. And for me, that became women. Hmm. And, and that became safe women because not all women are safe. Yeah. But that, that became safe women. Women mm. who saw past all the junk I tried to throw at them to deter them from liking me. Yeah. Uh-huh. To try and just prove, I know I'm not likable. I know I'm not lovable. So let me just throw this out there. That's that you're, not gonna, you're very lovable. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm the shit now. Because back then I thought I was <laughs> the crap. Um, and so let me throw all this out there so you know. Yeah, let me. I, I sold drugs to pregnant people. Boom, take that. Ooh. You know, you know, I stole from everybody. Take that. You know, I I participated in sexual abuse. I was raped and didn't care. Take mm. that. Take that. Take that. Um, mm. You know, and waiting for the show stuff. Waiting for them to b- to bounce to just prove that I'm right about myself, really. But they stayed, and they said me too. I did that too. I used when I was pregnant. Or, and what it, they brought back to me what I gave and instead did it in a way of compassion. And it showed me that I wasn't broken, that there wasn't something wrong with me, that, you know, I could actually be okay and safe. And I think that it doesn't have to be the same gender, although I do feel that is the best opportunity. You know, um, it takes away a lot of other outside shit, you know. And then in time, of course, I found safe men. There was a lot of safe men. But I had to become a safe woman myself before I was able to be, see anybody else's safe. I was not a safe woman. I really wasn't. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I gather that. I mean, you can, no matter, you know, we've talked about trauma and a lot of things that happened to me that were never mine to carry, but a lot of the things I did fast forwarding past that, you know, um, I was, you know, a abuser in lots of ways of the system, of people, of the law, of, you know, anybody around me. Um, and so I was not a safe person. Mm-hmm. And so I had to slowly become safe to see anybody else's safe. Because I think we all project who we are on the inside or who we think we are on the inside outward. Yeah. I don't know. 
So what do you what do you got, Allie? Uh, okay, I don't, by the way, Jen, yeah. Jen, I just I just texted a picture of you to Allie and said you're a badass. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was trying to open the text, David, and then he called on me, and I felt kind of attacked. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I told, that's, total, that's totally some shady shit right there. She's like, I'm <laughs> secretly trying to keep out this chick that's just been talking all this whole time. I, I, sure, do, I sure do talk a lot, you know? That's what oh, my God, no, I do, too. Um, That's one thing I've noticed, like, in this last, like, you know. I better talk I think I noticed with all the social injustice stuff happening right now is that, um, you know, I'm trying to learn more and I really, and just listen. Um, and I notice I sure do fucking talk a lot. And I really think that it's important. I do more listening. Yeah. Um, because, you know, listening is listening without needing to respond. Obviously we're in a podcast situation that's different, but I do notice that I, I have a lot to say about the things that I've experienced and that I know, but I don't listen a lot about the things that I have not experienced, and that's something that I need to work on with myself. I mean, this is what recovery is, right? Is like we constantly have this opportunity to become even more awoke. Uh, I don't like the word woke, but awoken, awakening, aware, aware. You know, yeah, dead growth, you know, whatever it is. It's like we have this opportunity now, especially the further down the road we get as we hash out all these things and, um, you know, work through trauma or work through, you know, wreckage and relationships. And as, as time goes on, it's like, you know, please, like I, the stagnancy shouldn't get there. It should just constantly be going. Like I, I'm con- I just, yeah. I always say this, and I'll say it again because I say it too much, but I don't want to be the same woman next year that I am talking to you guys today. Mm. Yep. I just don't. I, I pray to God that I'm not, and I, and I don't think I will be, but I want to constantly be just learning more. You know, like we talked about harm reduction last time. Like, these are things I absolutely put my foot down and said was wrong in the early recovery. I absolutely disagreed, disagreed, disagreed. Send people away. No, I will not sponsor you until you are off of your medication. No, you cannot share in this meeting because you are on methadone. No, this, no, that, you know. And now look where I'm at today. Boom. Uh A harm reduction advocate. Absolutely full circle. Redefining your identity does not make you a liar. It means that you are growing. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Truth changes. As you yep. change, your truth will change. Oh, seriously, I public. I had a book. My book was published last year. Last year, I'm not talking a long time. I'm talking last year, and there are sentences in that book that make me cringe. Already in just a year of time, I have my truth has changed. It's not the facts of my book, but it's my perception of the facts. It's, yeah. That is a con- my truth is that is one thing that will always be constant about me is that yes, my truth will always be changing. The things that I once thought were one way, I now see another way, and that's actually great. And I think I hope everybody sees that in themselves as great rather than like, you know, oh, but you used to say this. Well, yeah, I did, but now I say this, so you know, <laughs> so take yeah. that. That's- I don't know. Let's continue growth. 
that's awesome. Yeah. I always say that too. Like, I'm like, because people, like, as I work the steps, people would be like, man, I heard you share before and you would share this about like that situation. And now it, it sounded totally different or whatever. I'm like, well, one, thank you for critiquing my share. I didn't realize that <laughs> you know, I was being berated. And two, I'm like, I'm, yeah, my perception changes as I grow. So like, yep. Well, like early in recovery, you would have asked me, you know, how was your childhood? I would have said, oh, God, all of this stuff. But like as I grew, I would, you know, learn to focus more on like, hey, some good things also did happen. Like, let me right. talk about that. Or my mom did the best that she could with what she had. Let me not, you know what I mean? Like, so I just, yeah, it's, it's as we grow and evolve as humans, our perception changes. And that means yeah. that everything everything can change anything can change my question for you Jen is um, you know since you had so much trauma when you came into the rooms and um, you were talking about trauma was there any steps or like any step work that you did in particular that you at first were like oh god no like I can't you know do this or felt like like the trauma just really affected how you work the steps or um, like your willingness to work this up or, or anything of that nature? Um, the wor- the hardest thing for me was to turn my will and life over to a power, you know, greater than myself, to God, mm-hmm. whichever mm-hmm. because, you know, obviously coming from a cult, I, God yeah. was out of pain and um, demons and, and just all this scary stuff and I had a really, I did it very half half-assed, I guess you could say. I did a lot of stuff half-assed in the beginning. I did a lot of stuff very sh- very um, on the surface at first. Um, and I think that's as far as I could go before. I, th- I think, you know, what, like I said earlier, you know, I, my body has always been protecting me. Mm. And so there were certain things, um, not maybe necessarily certain steps per se, but certain um, depths of the step that um, made it hard, very difficult for me because my body was protecting me. My body has always been protecting me. Um, and that's the, man, it just goes to speak to the power of your body and your mind. And it's just amazing. Um, people see some of these protection um, responses as negative, but they actually are all just protection responses. Um, and so, um, I think that was probably the hardest one on paper, just that word God, um, Mm. because I really felt that my God, the God that I was, that always had pain, you know, and it's interesting because in prison, I had a moment of like divine intervention that's my queen. When I got sober, it was May 1st, 2011 is when this big event happened. It was big for me, but and I really feel that it was a power greater than myself. Um, and it really struck me at that moment in prison that maybe um, that, that my God had not abandoned me, that he was more loving than I was shown, and that everything I was shown was of man and not really of a higher power. And so I... I kind of just went really surface with that, but it's been, it's taken me some time. I still have a hard time with organized religion. Um, 
I still, um, I'm extremely spiritual and I don't ever tell anybody which, you know, God they should have, or, you know, if they don't even have a God, that's fine. You know, whatever I let people, you know, everyone should feel comfortable and supported and safe to feel whatever they need to feel and grow. Um, but for myself, like, you know, I, I do still struggle. I tried to go to church, um, last year and it was the first time I'd been in a church, I think since I was a, a young girl that I can remember. Um, and having done so much healing work, I mean, I, you know, it was just last year. So I was really, I've come so far and I sat in the church and all the like, um, traditions and the, and just the scene and stuff, I started shaking and I, and I felt just the anxiety and I, and it was nothing wrong that they did, but it was just panic. And I just still feel that my connection to God has nothing to do with church. And so, um, you know, I really am able today to say that how, why I'm here today is not really of me. It makes no medical sense. <laughs> it makes no logical sense why I've survived what I've, I mean, I should be dead in a field a million times over. Um, so I, I am able today to say, you know what? Something bigger out there was there with me. And that something bigger was not the something bigger that was molesting me. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know. So, yeah. That was probably the hardest one. But everything, you know, um, my first four step was very also shallow. Um, it wasn't shallow in the words. Because, like I said, I'm very good at throwing out every dirty thing I've, you know, quote-unquote dirty thing mm -hmm. I've ever done. It was all there. But my feelings behind it were not. Mm -hmm. My actually taking in what that actually felt like were not. Mm -hmm. So I had no problem writing it. I had no problem sharing it with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, but I can disconnect very easy. Mm -hmm. Even today, I still have to watch myself. I can talk about the most, you know, difficult conversations as if I'm talking about the fucking grocery list. Mm. And I have to be careful because that is protection. Even today, that is still my body going into protection mode to protect me from hurting, to protect me from harm, perceived harm. And so sometimes after I do an interview or I do a recording or whatever, I actually take time and sit with what I actually talked about. And because I never want to go back to running from myself. Right. That's really the ultimate of everything I've ever done has been running from myself, running from pain, subconsciously and consciously. I never yeah. want to go back to that. So I even will sit with myself and really absorb what I spoke about and make sure that that my body is okay with all that. And if it's and if it's not, if things are coming up for me, I do, you know, trauma informed yoga, a little bit of meditation. Sometimes I write, sometimes I cry. Me too. Um, yeah. Do you? <laughs> of course he does. Sometimes I cry and then I'm okay, you know, and then I'm okay. I know, Shut up, Eric. I know that I haven't wounded myself by just detaching and just filling out all this stuff, you know, anything yeah, 
Eric, let it out. Eric, you need to cry. No, I don't. Eric, let it out. You need a good cry, buddy. About what? (laughs) The forest and the I don't don't know. You tell me, buddy. The forest. Your allergies. Your allergies, yes. (laughs) I swear to God, if I, honest honest to God, if I ever saw Eric cry, I would cry. I think my favorite favorite crying story for David is the one where you cried at like a view. Like you just saw this beautiful. You were like, I was standing on a ridge, oh, and I did. saw I saw this beautiful sunset in this fucking it was mountain. Yosemite, you son of a bitch! You know why are you fucking crying? That is, I wasn't. It wasn't that like an ugly cry, but it was like some tearage, you know. No, was it like the gratitude tears, the like small stream of just like, oh uh, yeah, yeah, like uh, yeah, that's Eric. That's normal. Thank you. That's normal. Thank you. No, it's not. Yeah, yes. Is this a Hallmark movie? Like, no, it's not yes. normal. What the fuck are you yes. talking about? That's where they get the plot. It is, it is normal. Okay, it is It is normal for David. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's my normal. There we go. We're all yes. safe. We're all your safe. Question, Eric. We're safe people, Eric. You can let it out here. Well, yeah. well here's... We're in the trust tree. Here's my... In the mess of love. Here... Here's my question. And uh, since we're talking about trauma, and this is a group question, um, I feel like this, you know, at the time of this recording, we're in early June. I think COVID's going to last at least until probably this time next year, minimum. Um, I don't think the civil ish, like the civil rights issues are going to be going anywhere either. And I know a lot of people are being very traumatized by both of these issues. Um, and having them both oh, yeah. coincide at the same time um, makes it probably even more stressful. And just looking, not even looking at the whole, like we won't look at like the issues at hand, but looking at the, the psychological and emotional trauma that people are facing just going to the grocery store, having to not go to meetings, um, not being able to see other people. Like, I haven't seen David for months. Like, it's been a long time, dude. Like, March, right? Is that the last time I, I saw talk you? I don't want to talk about it. Um, I don't want to talk about it. you're tearing up there. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I think from a recovery perspective... We, we've all been in recovery for a long time, right? So it's, it's a little bit different for us, which doesn't mean that we're not, you know, still affected, like, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally by this. Mm-hmm. But I do think about the people who are brand new. And yeah. I think, like, holy shit, what happens when you need, like, you physically need the meeting, so, I mean, what, what do you guys think, and whoever wants to go first can go first, but what, I mean, how do you think this is going to affect people moving forward, like, in a recovery sense? Mm. Well, Allie's running out of time, so I think she should go first. I am. Yes, yes, and someone just came to my house. I'm sorry, I'm having an illegal um, meeting, like it's not a legal meeting. My home group, as you were talking, this is very relevant. People in my home group want to, we are a fucking family. My home group is super tight, and we had a group conference last week on Zoom, and someone said, 
hey, does anybody have just like a house that has a yard that we can just see each other? And uh, I offered up my house, right? I was like, you guys can come here. Um, I'm not everybody. We're going to be within the legal parameters of 10 or less. But like, it's just solely people from a home group because it is important to see everybody and just know that like, it's so different to see someone on screen and and be like, hey, yeah, I'm fine, I'm cool. But like to actually see someone's physical being and their body language and just everything, like their, I, I don't want to say like appearance, but like their vibe, right? Like that is important. And uh, yeah. we're a close group of people. So like if somebody's like vibes off, like, I need to call him out on it. And on Zoom, you can throw up a, a fucking, what, a glamour shot of your face, and I don't really know what's going on, you know? Like, I, okay, cool. Um, like, I you know, I just, I do think that meetings, seeing in-person meetings are so important. Like, the vibe is there, the energy there, the love, like... You're on Zoom, it's like you're in some horrible Brady Bunch kind of like everybody. Talk. I feel like I'm at a family function where whoever's the loudest is the one that's heard, and it's just it's chaotic and it's crazy and it's just it's a lot, you know, and it brings up old shit. And I just want to dissociate immediately. So, um, yeah. yeah, like I and I think like for new people, this is kind of why I wanted to when someone suggested it, I kind of offered up my house because we do have people that. We have a dude in my home group that was going to celebrate a year, and he don't he doesn't want to do it on Zoom, um, right? You know, because he wants to he wants to have that feeling of celebrating like a year clean is such a big fucking deal, and he wants yeah. that feeling. And like, who, who am I to say no? You should celebrate on Zoom. So, yeah, just like I think that people who are new, new, and like maybe have never been to an actual meeting, they just found this really cool recovery online network. Um, it might be a little self-talking. Like, we are um, a very intrusive group of human beings. <laughs> like, I'm like, I know my own group. We're going to hug you. We're going to, like, ask your name. We're going to, um, like, I don't know. Like, we're just going to welcome you in and make you feel like a part of our family. And uh, for someone that might be a little bit standoffish or, um, like, an introvert, I think that that might be kind of a shell shock um, and they might prefer like the online meetings. Um, like I mm-hmm. hope, I pray to God, I hope that we still have this strong online recovery thing happening um, post, you know, coronavirus or new norms or whatever the fuck, um, you know, post all of that. And uh, if I also, with the whole civil rights movement and just like, you know, racial like equality, it really made me stop and look at like, my, what do I, how am I treating everyone that comes into my home group? Am I just reaching out to the girls that look like me, right? Like, I had to, like, ask myself some really fucking serious questions. And um, mm. moving forward, like, because it, it's kind of crazy. We live in such a big area, and there are meetings everywhere, and it's so easy to go to a meeting where, like, everybody knows you, and you all kind of have the same interest, and they become, like, clicky. So, um... You know, I just want to, like, make sure that, like, my home group is a place that's safe for everyone, no matter, like, age, race, sexual identity, creed, religion, or lack of religion, you know, like, what the literature talks about. Um, and I just, I know a lot of people are overdosing. I keep seeing it on Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, obviously, this is a crazy time. But, um, you know, I think that we can get through it, no matter how long it lasts. We will, we're addicts, now. Yeah, we will adapt. 
and like find new ways. If I can like find fucking drugs in the middle of like a snow, snowmageddon, whatever we had, yeah. like 36 inches of snow, I'm like, I was still out copying. Like, I can, you know, get the help that I need and maybe help somebody else. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I got. I love you guys. Um, Eric, I know. I, every time I say that now, Eric, I have to tell you I have a complex. Because, like, I'm like, fuck, am I the person that, like, throws the I love you? Oh, I don't know. Oh yeah, we we talked we talked about the love thing on one of the thanks for sharing episodes, didn't we? We did. Yeah. I was like, man, I'm that fucking person. Like, well, I had no idea. Well, Allie, Allie, for for your sake, I love you. Yeah. Right? Is that oh, what I'm supposed to do? For your sake. For, is that what yes. I'm supposed to do? Yes. I'm trying, David. Yes. I'm trying. That is what you're supposed to do. I'm trying. Baby steps. Maybe yeah, maybe next so time I'll cry at like a turtle or some shit. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know? No. Maybe, like, maybe next time you see a beautiful sunset, you'll just let out one of those. You know what? Like, fuck yeah. This is awesome. And just all up here. Yeah. You know, just like yeah. a little. It doesn't even need a fall. It just needs to like produce in the duck. You know, yeah. that's enough. Just a that's little enough. mist, just a little mist yeah. around the eyes, and that's a win. That is such a huge win for me. He told, he told, yeah. he said he loved me once. I remember. It was a Thursday. It was beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I have to say though, Eric, that just made my entire week. My entire fucking month has been made. Like, because I was like after that conversation we had I started to be more aware of like how often I tell people that I love them but like I do I truly genuinely love a lot of people I also do not like a lot of people and I will not say I love you to them but like I do man I, I love I love people I love certain people and I fucking love you guys and then I don't know you but I can tell I really like you and we have definitely the potential <laughs> yay It's not a cringe. It's not a cringe. I, I haven't really. I don't think I've released. It's I'm, awkward. I'm, no, no, no. It's not awkward. It's, it's more like, I place. I I place the word. I feel like it can be used it's a little loose. Yeah, I I, I feel oh, like it okay. can be used very loosely in recovery sense, and like I just okay. like I don't even say I love you to my parents. You know what I mean? So it's like. It's very, I don't use it as a loose term. Um, right. But I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. I'm trying. There you One go. day at a time, that's right? That's, that's all we can ask for. Yep. That's all we can that's ask great. for. 
Next year, you might be, next year you might be throwing I love you's all across the board. Maybe. You never know. Oh, you God. don't know. Maybe I will. Never know. Yep. Okay, what was the question with all the trauma? Yeah, I, to- I totally forgot the question. It was the trauma, like, how do you feel that this is this trauma is going to affect people in recovery? All right. Um, so I, I think with this, with everything happening and everything happening all at once, I think it's a very polarizing thing for all of us because I think we're seeing a lot of people's um, uh, their 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 true nature in a sense. Um, I and I, I don't uh, I I did, I want to keep as much morality or politics out of it as possible, but I think it's more about the people that you can see are living in the solution and the people that are living in the problem. And I think that's something that we all have to look at uh, individually and socially. Um, But obviously it starts with ourselves and like one by one, like the, dealing with like COVID it, it like how are we individually uh, doing what's best for ourselves uh, socially? Like how, how are we interacting with everybody in the world? And then how are we um, getting through this personally through recovery? Are, are, are we staying active? Are we, are, are we making sure we're plugged in to uh, our people, our network, our fellowship, whatever, are we doing the work on ourselves that needs to be done? And then um, on top of the uh, social unrest that's going on right now, uh, which I think is a very judicious way of saying that, uh, it, it, it's, it's the same thing. Are, like, are, are you living in, in a solution or are you living in a problem? And I, I really think there's healthy ways that people are dealing with this. And I think there's very unhealthy ways that people are dealing with this. And uh, I, I think it, 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 this whole year, I think, has been a lot about really self-reflection and um, inventory of what's important in our lives. Because like some of those relationships that we may have thought were important a year ago, maybe we haven't seen those people or talked to them so much and vice versa. Maybe they haven't reached out to us in a certain amount of time. So it's been a, it's been a good chance for us to really take stock in those people that are reaching out, that are making sure that we're okay. And, and that we're making sure that those other people are okay. Um, so I think I, I think it's actually breeding a lot of work ethic into people's lives and to the recovery community because it's not just go uh, go here at this time, get your free cup of coffee, sit down and listen or don't listen, be in the room and then go home. It, it's more about oh, like what are you willing to do for your recovery? What are you willing to do? in these times of great stress to get through it as an individual and as a collective. Yeah, that was a good answer. Thank you. Thank you. <sighs> I've composed myself now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. 
That was like the best laugh earlier that I've had in a while. Um, oh, yeah, so all that, what you said, yeah, I think that, um, so there's two, there's two things with online recovery, right? I think that online recovery or online recovery support, online recovery community, whatever, I think is wonderful. I think that it's great. I think that I'm so freaking grateful that it's there. Even before any of this, I'm just so grateful. I get to speak to people all across the world. There's mm-hmm. people that don't have access, like like in America and the U.S. We have lots of recovery um, treatment centers and groups and meetings, and but there is places in the world where it is not as plentiful. And so there, you know, these are yeah. all wonderful things. These are all amazing things, um, and we also get to explore outside. Um, opinions, like different uh, differences of opinions, differences of journeys, different healing stuff. Thank God that there's people talking about other stuff so we can hear about EMDR. So we can hear, you know, things that aren't maybe necessarily a conversation in your home group or in maybe your little circle or whatever. These are all great. On the flip side, you can paint yourself um who you, how you're feeling, what you're really doing. Uh, you can paint whatever picture you would like and everyone else can do the same. Mm-hmm. So not only can it be a way to hide what's really going on with you, what you're really struggling with, um, you can also be trying to keep up with what someone else is painting as they're you know, going through these experiences. They're painting it in a certain way. So it's very difficult there's a lot of comparison that can happen, um, a lot of, you know, shame that can happen if you're not feeling, you know, I remember, like, when this first, this, just talking about the virus necessarily, uh, or whatever, but um, there was a lot out there about, ooh, this is a great time to just sit and get in, and introspect and learn a new hobby. And you yeah. write that book and learn yoga and everything. Uh-huh slowing down I have children okay so there is not been a single moment of slowing down that yeah everybody's been home and going that you know they're you know my daughter obviously she's a toddler so she's already like that but my son is used to being in school constantly constantly motivated you know active craft you know schedule schedule to nothing mm-hmm. right? He also has some emotional issues with being at home. He is also, a seven-year-old, is also experiencing some trauma of not being with his friends and not being in school and the fear and the fear of what is the virus? What are protests, Mom? Mm -hmm. A lot of this stuff, no matter how much, you know, I try to not, I don't don't really believe in sheltering children, but I do believe in age appropriateness. So, you know, it's not like I sit and talk about, you know, real graphic stuff or anything, but he, he, he knows, he sees, he's, you know, so it's like, what is this stuff, mom? It's basically asking me, is it something I need to be afraid, afraid of, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I haven't really, you know, I have tons of, I haven't got shit. Let me just tell you that we've been on lockdown for, I don't know how long. I haven't got shit done. There's not one new hobby. I haven't learned one new craft. <laughs> There's been many, many days where I have been hanging on to my app to, to not, 
not hanging, you know, I'm, I'm nine years in recovery, so no, I, I, the obsession to drink and use has been lifted. However, yeah. there's many other harmful, negative things that I do that take me away from pain. So, mm-hmm. and take me away from stress. And, you know, avoidance, avoidance, avoidance. This is something that, you know, comes really, that's my first response, avoidance, you know? Um, and so I, I've been a lot of times just really surviving through the day. And I think that it's important that people really share what's really going on because, like I said, with anything, then it lets other people know that they're not alone. And it yeah. really, you know, it doesn't matter how long you have in recovery. This shit is fucking weird. It has thrown us all off, whatever our schedule was. And we get, and, and schedule is very important to people in recovery, I think. Just having yeah. those certain things you do, um, to have those gone, um, and not only that, you added financial stress. Many people have lost their jobs. Yeah. Um, or had their jobs altered. You know, you add in the stress, of course, of everything looking strange with the mask on. And, and, and a lot of times, trauma is not even something we're aware of. Yeah. Many people mm-hmm. don't even realize that they are experiencing the effects of trauma. So mm-hmm. all these things put together, I mean... I really, with really obviously being that I am in recovery from heroin, um, and I do work with, you know, a nonprofit that's specifically for people with opioid addiction, that we were making a lot of headway in the opioid epidemic as a whole. Not saying that we were doing great, but we were making a lot of headway. And that Mm -hmm. has all been turned around. Mm -hmm. This virus, Statistically, I'm just going to say, with the numbers that we're showing with overdoses, with um, people being able to get their harm reduction supplies, with all these things, nobody's, you know, it's like the delivery services, the, you know, that used to be clinics open. All these things have been altered so much that people are just, I mean, it's a lot of death happening right now. Yeah. Honestly, I, I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, a lot of like the, the methadone clinics, like they're they got a lot of them got closed down. Like a lot of they, them got closed. Yeah, a they, lot that, of them. I didn't even think about that until right this moment. Like, so I, yeah, I, I don't think that would those have been deemed essential. Well, well, I, here's the thing. I, I thought it was take they were sort of though. I thought they were doing take homes. Yeah, yeah, but but here's the thing with take homes. This is the problem, is that. There are laws about take homes. Mm-hmm. So take homes are not available, number one, especially to someone who's new into the methadone clinic. Yeah. You have to have a substantial amount of time in, I don't know what, I don't know if they're all different lengths of time or if it's all standard, but you have to have a certain amount of time before you are eligible to qualify for take homes. Mm-hmm. So Many people, especially the ones who really, really need it, are not qualified, do not qualify for take-homes. Yeah. The laws prevent also uh, distributing large amounts of um, suboxone, even, Uh you know, um, to people from clinics. You know, obviously, 
but just you're talking, I'm talking about the people on the streets, in the clinics, free clinic, whatever. Um, so a lot of that, it took time. And the amount of time it took for them to tr- finally see, we got to change something for this, for this particular time in the world. We got to do something because people are not able to get their medication. And if you've ever been on methadone, Withdrawing from methadone is a fucking hell worse than heroin. You know, it's the fucking nightmare from hell. So everyone went back to their heroin, of course, because they couldn't get in. The lines are incredibly long. Many of these people have underlying health health issues. Just because you're on methadone doesn't mean you're not afraid to die from a virus. (laughs) So you factor in all these things and... We have taken a huge downward turn in the opioid epidemic as a whole. Mm. That is going to be something we are going to have to face a big ma- aftermath when this when this place opens back up, um, and yeah. it is going to be rough in that in that perspective, especially in, in medication assistance, treatment, recovery, uh, whatever you know, <clears throat> whatever, that's a huge, has taken, there's going to be a lot of people that either will have died or are back out on the streets right now. Mm. Um, that's yeah. one thing, you know, and then just for those of us in recovery, you know, it's like, like I said, this whole, everything has been upturned and turned upside down and there is really no end in sight. Our children, you know, our children are traumatized. Nobody knows what's going to happen with the schools. Everything's so unknown. And I kind of yeah. got, you know, I kind of feel like I got into recovery to lose that. Like, I didn't, I don't want to live my life like that anymore where everything's just so up in the air and there's no control. Hence, trauma, the opposite of trauma is choice. So, yeah. you take away all these choices. I have no choice over what happens. I'm just waiting for the next email from the school. I'm just waiting for, and I'm just kind of in every, you know, my life is kind of in the hands of freaking Trump and God knows who else. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so it's going to be, it's going to be a big, my three-year-old just came in. <laughs> She's had her max of her candy and quiet. <laughs> She's done. Well, then I, I, I think yeah. that is the, uh, saved by the bell moment. Yeah. So she is, yeah. yeah. We, so I think we would like to, uh, thank our guest, Jen, for joining us again. I love we love yeah we love you Jen we'll, we'll I love you Ben have so many so many more talks to have in the future oh, wait um, wait I I love you Jen oh, I love you Eric whoa I know that's huge that's a big moment there's different this is a, this, I'm trying so much growth in this podcast that's I'm a trying. breakthrough right I'm trying guys it's it's, it's, it's a one so day at a time I'm so thing. proud of you Eric it's a one day at a time it is. I'm so proud of you Eric it really is. It's really great. I'm a, All right. I appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, <sighs> thanks for joining us on another uh, of, uh, meeting after the meeting with Jen, Eric, Allie, and myself. Uh, go check out our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook, our YouTube channel. Uh, please, if you uh, are so generous, please check out our PayPal, our Venmo, and our um, oh, I totally yeah. forgot it. Yeah, Patreon. We have a Patreon. Patreon. We need, we need to shout them yes. out. Um, yes, please, please send shit. us some money so we can can keep up with our equipment costs and all 
all those good things to keep podcast recovery alive and well. Um, for, uh, for more information, go to podcastrecovery.com. But most importantly, everybody out there, please stay safe and stay clean.